We respectfully acknowledge the University of Arizona is on the land and territories of indigenous peoples. Today, Arizona is home to 22 federally recognized tribes, with Tucson being home to the Autumn and Yaqui. Committed to diversity and inclusion, the university strives to build sustainable relationships with sovereign native nations and indigenous communities through education offerings, partnerships, and community service. pause and say, okay, there's a reason why this opportunity presented, and it may or may not be the right, but um, I think we all owe it to ourselves to, to pause and, and consider it. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us for episode 62. Today, we speak with Dr. Kim Cavanaugh, who is an associate professor and department chair for the Physician Assistant Department and the Associate Dean of the School of Medical Sciences and the Murawski College of Health Professions and Sciences at Gannon University in Erie, Pennsylvania. We speak with Kim today about her program, but also about her significant contributions as a national leader on assessment. And I just want to point out that Dr. Cavanaugh is a class act in that we had to do this episode twice due to technical difficulties in our first recording. So we greatly appreciate her flexibility and her willingness to come back on. This is the first time that's happened to us and hopefully the last but technology happens, right? So we hope you enjoy this episode. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Kavanaugh or her program, please go to our website at papathpodcast.com. Well, uh, thank you again. And, and it's course. wonderful to see you. Uh, you've done such amazing things for the profession. Honestly, Steph and I have, we have such admiration for you and what you've contributed to, you know, every program in the country, having some benefit from your contributions as a leader and, we're just excited to, to pick your brain about Gannon and about your own path to becoming a PA. So you're you're kind. Well, I'm always honest and 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 pretty consistently straightforward. So yeah, I, I do know that about you. <laughs> so uh let's start, uh, Kim. If you could tell us a little bit about your path to becoming a PA, share kind of how you ended up doing this crazy profession. Of course. So I I had no idea what the PA profession was until I was a junior in college. I did my undergraduate degree in biology was pre-med when I started, and this was early 90s, and so not unlike, I think, other people's pathways to becoming a PA. And honestly, it's interesting, when I was an undergrad, I also debated education. And so I was going to be an English teacher. Um, That was kind of my alternative pathway. I had um, brought some additional credits with me from high school. And so I had an extra semester. And so I thought, oh, I could do my student teaching and all of these things. And I, and I didn't. But as a junior in, in college, learned about the PA profession and really just said, wow, this really checks a lot of the boxes. It was about, I think, focus on patient care, an opportunity to collaborate for me at the time, I think it was feeling like I didn't have to be the be all end all decision maker. I liked the idea of working with a supervising physician and, and, and really, you know, that, that relationship, I think um, was part of what drew me. And I, I had the opportunity, a, a gentleman, longtime PA 
former military corpsman um, in the area. His, his daughter went to high school with my sister. And I didn't know that he was a PA until around that time. And, you know, really amazing opportunity to chat with him. Um, I remember when I got accepted to PA school, he gave me all of his textbooks. They were outdated, but it was that kind of gesture of, you know, what can we do? And he's actually um, connected with our program. Like he has come in and spoken with our students and shared his experience. So, so that's, that was my journey. I, I finished my degree, um, went to, went to PA school. I graduated from Allegheny University of the Health Sciences, which was formerly Hahnemann, now Drexel, and, you know, and, and launched from there. That's wonderful. So, so it's funny how those ties come back, right? After you, you have a chance to be in the profession and you, you suddenly find yourself having an opportunity to reconnect with a, an old mentor and somebody supported you. That's really neat. Yeah. And, and I feel so blessed to, you know, have had an interest in education and, and be a PA educator and, you know, somewhere along the way it happened earlier in my, in my career than I think I thought it would. I thought now would be when I would start entering PA education and had an opportunity. Again, the universe is interesting how it aligns, but so feel super lucky to have, have had an opportunity actually to fulfill both of those career interests. You know, that's interesting that you say that because uh, I think that's a that's a sentiment that we hear more is surprisingly often that people say, you know, I always thought, and, and it's true of, of, of me as well, you know, I always thought somewhere down the road, I was really interested in getting into education, but this opportunity just came up. And so I think for, for our PA educators who are, who might be listening to this episode or, you know, just P, practicing PAs or even potential PAs, I think it's, I think it's good to, you know, life is funny. It, it's good to have a plan, but, but sometimes, you know, life has its own ideas about what, about what's going to happen in your life, as opposed to what you, what your plan for your life is. And, and we need to be open to those things, those opportunities present themselves. We need to, I think, pause and say, okay, there's a reason why this opportunity presented. And it may or may not be the right, but um, I think we all owe it to ourselves to, to pause and, and consider it. Yeah, and I don't know a lot of people. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone say, you know, it came up before I thought it would, but I regret it. I, I, everyone yeah. that I know that has made the jump into PA education, says, I just can't imagine doing anything else at this point. Yeah, no, it's true. Absolutely true. So Kim, tell us a little bit about your journey then kind of after that. So you entered into clinical practice and then, so what was it? What was the, what was the bug that bit you and got you into education and, and your journey began in university? So um, my clinical practice background is cardiology, I was working in electrophysiology actually. Um, and again, always just had that underlying education piece. So my mom's an educator. She's actually the director of the School of Education here at Gannon. My husband's an educator. And so um, it was, I, I had just said, you know what, I'm going to reach out. And, and honestly, with my husband's encouragement, you know, reach out to Gannon. I was living, we were living and working in Erie and just say, hey, if you ever need a guest lecturer, let me know. And they said, yes, can you lecture <laughs> in a few weeks and they they needed an e ECG lecture perfect right up my alley and honestly it was it was so timing it was I did the lecture they happened to have an opening let me know that they had an opening for a clinical coordinator and and I applied and and I have been here ever since except for one year when I went to a different PA program came back 
So let's talk a little bit about your experience with applicants since you've been in the education for a while now. When you think about like the quintessential applicants you like to look at and the, the ones that you kind of say, wow, they really nailed it. What, what do they look like for your program? Um, great question. I think it's important to acknowledge Gannon's program is a five-year direct entry master's program. And so our, the majority of our applicants come to us directly from high school, not all. You know, we have some, some students who have had other life experiences and then decide to come through the program. They still complete all five years, but the majority of our students are those kind of high school students that are looking at this profession and career path at 16, 17 years of age. I think when I think about the, the individuals who... Um, are successful in, in the program and, and coming in. Our students, um, I think, really tend to be involved, engaged, um, and that's, you know, through their high school journey and, and carries into their time here at Gannon. We have students who are leaders of clubs and organizations. They are leading alternative break service trips. They are engaged in campus ministry. They are competing in athletics. And one of the key pieces, I think, of that involvement is their time management skills and, and how that really supports through their educational journey um, so that that ability to work through time management. I think that social service commitment. Gannon is, I always, when people ask me, you know, what I, you know, kind of what I would say about Gannon, what I like most about Gannon, and, and my response is always its sense of community and spirit of service. Um, and so our, our students, I think, are really drawn to that. Our, our campus is embedded in downtown Erie. So it's an, an urban campus, although Erie is not a huge metropolis, but, but we take our role as a neighbor in the community really seriously. And our students really embrace that. And so I really think um, within our program, we have a, um, we call it our guiding principle and it's hashtag heal and it's health education, advocacy, and leadership. And, and that's really what, you know, what we say to students as they come in, what we say to students as they progress. I have reflected upon it at our white coat ceremonies and, you know, program completion kinds of things. But it's really what we want them to embrace for themselves, you know, their personal health and well-being, but that of their patients, their commitment to their personal education, lifelong learning, but also the education of their patients and communities in which they'll live. Advocacy advocating for themselves at first as students and then as professionals, but then also advocating for patients and, and thinking about, you know, social determinants of health and, and access to care and, and how do we support our patients when, when they may not be able to navigate the system and leadership and really being, again, leaders in their community and recognizing that I think our role as a PA extends beyond healthcare. It, you know, certainly we provide care to patients, but it's also, again, about how we contribute to the community in which we're living and working. So, so we've spoken to other, a few other programs that have that kind of a model with the undergrad and, and the master's together. I wonder from your perspective, because it sounds like the kind of students that you're seeking or that ultimately matriculate have a level of maturity, kind of the old soul that maybe not all undergrads have. So do you, as a, as a 
a leader in the in the institution, do you still see some of those similar undergraduate challenges of growing up and leaving home that we see at a major university? Or are your students just so different because they're just so driven to this already that you don't see that as much? Um, no, we do. I think we absolutely do. Um, we as faculty in the program advise our students through the five years. So we really um, I think get to know our students. That's It's one of my favorite parts of the job, in all honesty. It's also one of the toughest parts of the job because advising a first year undergraduate student looks a little bit different than advising, you know, a first year graduate student or a fifth year PA student. Um, and so certainly, you know, I think that adjustment to college, number one, that just the social piece of how do I integrate into a new environment? How do I manage being away from home and, and, you know, kind of figuring out my independence? How do I navigate roommate issues? And, you know, just the, the, just the general social pieces that that is undergraduate, but also study skills and recognizing that, you know, our students, I think, are historically high performing high school students, but coming in to college, it's different. It's a different learning environment. There is, I, I like to tell my students as we talk about, again, time management, and why sometimes I think our involved students tend to do better. You know, you're making, you can make a decision of watching Netflix or taking a nap in the middle of the afternoon, or you can, you know, go to the library or work with a study group and do that because you know you've got a meeting tonight or you've got an away game, et cetera. And so it's it's helping the students, I think, navigate that and navigate the support services on campus. And so really thinking about how do we connect them? We have a, um, a STEM center that supports um, students, um, particularly in the science courses. And, and my, my statement to our students is always, you know, it, taking advantage of tutoring or extra support is not it you're paying for it it's part of your tuition get your money's worth while you're here and 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 take advantage of that and so i think i think it's it, again it's a different environment but that's what we're really working with those students on of understanding what resources are and 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 being okay with connecting with them yeah i think about it from and this is just because i've only done the classic graduate ba school in my career so the average age of the students i've experienced is typically 26 They've, they've, many of them have kind of gotten their, their, their wildness out by then. You know, they, they may have left home for the first time and explored freedom as a college student. And I uh, think about that Mel Gibson movie, Braveheart, you know, they're just finally, <laughs> we're free. And they, they, they explore things that our medical boards or our PA boards, our licensing boards would not be happy with. And so I often would have a conversation at orientation to say, the world has changed for you today because the way the, at least the California PA board looked at it is what you did before PA school might be excusable and, and they tend to be much more lenient on those things. But the moment you become a member of a PA program, clock starts for your professionalism and, you know, ensuring you don't have any DUIs or any other kind of misdemeanors or felonies. So how do you navigate that with those students? Because they're so young still and they haven't had that, they haven't had a chance to explore the freedom of being away from home. 
It's a it's a great question. I think, you know, certainly we have professionalism requirements within the program and we we emphasize that a lot and and talk about that um, I think unique perspective and and opportunity. I, I think it is um, they are college students. Um, they, you know, I think that's the reality of it. Um, but again, I think uh, combined with the university in general and, and how they approach students and education of students as they orient to the university and are here, all of our incoming first year undergraduate students, regardless of major, complete a actually non-credit bearing course called Gannon 101. Um, and it, it's really about navigating navigating the world of college and, and again, what are the resources and all of those things. So I think we do our best again in that spirit of education um, to kind of work with our students and, and, and emphasize that kind of professionalism mm -hmm. component. Sounds like Gannon 101 could actually benefit society as a whole. Because the people not going through that course, uh, they haven't learned those lessons. <laughs> it's it's really it's really interesting because students look at it. We used to have we we have a new liberal studies core um, that all of our students are required to take, and um, we used to have a course called um, first year seminar, which was part of a first year experience. It was credit bearing, two credits, covered some of the same stuff. We taught it within the program so we could do some kind of intro to the profession kinds of things. But students, including my two children, um, one of whom came to Gannon and graduated last year, one of whom is a current Gannon student, you know, come in looking at it going, well, that feels like a waste of time. Um, but I think once they experience it and realize the content, and, and again, it's really about how are you successful? How are you and and being a citizen, right? Yeah. It's 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 how do you navigate college and and how do you connect with resources and all of those things? But it's also these elements of of citizenship. And again, speaking to you know roles within the community and and leadership, I feel like it's it it provides a foundation. Students, as with with some things, may not appreciate it in the moment, but upon reflection, I think they they probably move back to that experience and that content more than they may even realize that they're doing. Sure. Well, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit and change the topic to uh, one that I'm quite certain is near and dear to your heart, and that is assessment. Most most folks in the PA education community know you as the assessment guru, and you've had a tremendous amount of involvement in developing some of the assessments, um, some of the standardized assessments within within PA education. So talk a little bit about your work with PAEA and and the um, testing products and you know how you feel those have, have benefited both programs and the profession. Absolutely. I, I think one of, of my favorite parts of being a PA educator and, and something I'm super proud to have had the opportunity to be involved with PAEA um, and their commitment to supporting programs in the expansion of um, assessments and exams that are available. You know, I started as a member of the PACRAT item writing group, and I remember um, being accepted going, I don't know what they were thinking when they, you know, agreed to bring me on, but I, I looked at it as a development opportunity and had that opportunity to engage with such 
brilliant individuals on that group and, and really learned so much and, and transitioned, became chair of Packrat and, and really was, was blessed with an opportunity to look at, at the expansion and work with some really, you know, kind of dedicated and talented people to think about what other assessments would, would really benefit. And um, so the development of end of rotation exams and subsequently um, the end of curriculum exam. I think um, it, I think it's really helped programs in a number of ways. And that was that was the intent, right? So intent number one is, is how do we provide quality validated exams to assess students that provide national comparative data that can help programs. It helps students kind of get a sense of, of where they're at. It gives them some targeted feedback, but also helps programs in, in curricular review and, and things. I think equally as important, I'm going to say, is what it's allowed programs to do from a faculty workload and time perspective. And the piece of how much time it really takes to write a really good exam. And it takes a whole lot longer than we think it does. And I think what we, um, what we, recognized was that in, especially in clinical education and clinical coordinators who were really often tasked with that work, not always, but their time needed to be dedicated to clinical site development and, you know, maintenance of um, relationships with, with clinical partners and things. And so the, the idea that we could shift that um, off of off of their plate, I think really has has been really impactful. I will own. I don't know that I ever imagined that they would be as well received and adopted, maybe as they are. Um, but I guess that reinforces what the need was. I think it also just speaks to we have currently PAEA has almost seventy volunteers who write the content for all of the exams. So PACRAT, the end of rotation exams and um, end of curriculum. And I, I really, um, they're such dedicated and talented individuals. They spend so much time with writing peer review. Um, all of the exams have small group peer review, large group peer review, and a final review prior to publication. And so I think the amount of time that those individuals put in, but it that, that speaks to, um, I think, the quality of, of the exams themselves. I can certainly speak from my own experience, and I can say that, you know, those PAEA exams are very consistently and reliably uh, predictive of how students are going to do on the PANTS exam. It's actually one of our most powerful predictors for how students are going to do. So, you know, it's not only helpful for the for programs, but I think it's helpful for students too. You know, they they can comfortably say, I know if I'm doing well on some of the PAEA exams that, you know, that's at least a decent indicator that I'm going to be well prepared for PANTS. Yes. PAEA stance is that we don't comment on exams. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, yes. I'm, was spe organic. I'm speaking about, yes, I'm speaking uh, from my own experience as a PA program director. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's I think it's great. And I think your involvement in, you know, in that and your the number of hundreds and thousands of hours that you I know you personally have put forth in, in that effort on PAEA's behalf is, um, you know, your contributions to our profession from that perspective are are great and 
I am it, thankful for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. It is, I mean, it's truly has been such rewarding work um, of, it's, it's something I really love. Like, so I definitely geek out writing items. I had the opportunity, I don't, in my current role with PAEA, I don't normally write items, but I'm the pitch hitter. Um, so this past year I pitch hit and wrote, you know, 20 items over a weekend just to knock them out. And I love that. And so it's just, it's work that I, I honestly truly enjoy. And even I think for me, my PAEA involvement has been about relationships. So relationships are super important to me and the number of relationships that I've had the opportunity to build through that work um, and true friendships and mentors that I have, I have come to, to know and, 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 you know, I'm so grateful for um, all of that. I, I, I have to thank, um, you know, the opportunities that the association has provided. Yeah, I think we both agree that, you know, we feel the same way. It's such a wonderful organization. And for educators that are listening, keep trying to get involved, volunteer, mm -hmm. because your own personal and professional development is so incredible. And it does contribute to the, yeah, we talked about this, I think, on the last uh, uh, publication with Jeannie McHugo, where, Steph, you asked a question about the benefit to the program. And, and truly, you know, the kind of professional development you're getting from your experiences at PAEA absolutely helps strengthen the program and your colleagues there, so. No, they, they, it, it's so true. It's, you know, again, from the basics of item writing of, you know, people, I think people who apply for the exam development boards have an appreciation for it, they like it, but it, there's, the, the growth opportunities and learning from one another, but it's also just, again, sitting at meetings and having conversations and, and learning, right? You begin to crowdsource, you, you learn yeah. like, oh, what are you doing? And how do you manage this? And, oh, that's a really great idea. Talk with me more about that. Um, and, you know, building that network really, truly helps the program because if, if myself or faculty within the program have those relationships, it means that we're expanding our thought. You know, we are, we are expanding and thinking outside of, of the Gannon box um, and, and having that opportunity. And so building those relationships through those service opportunities helps with that. Yeah. I, I, I hate to even admit this because I'm totally aging myself, but when I was in PA school, I had, I, I felt like I needed to learn how to write good test questions to, to practice, to mm -hmm. test myself. And I researched it. Now we did have the internet back then, but it was pretty new. And I had a DOS, I, I found this, this Illinois Teacher Association resource that had a test writing software. And I would write these test questions on, it was a DOS floppy disk. That's how old it was. So I went to PA school in 94 to 96. And so I would write questions and then I would actually read them on a tape recorder that I would play in the car. And I had an hour commute to, to mm -hmm. PA school. So I would play it, but I would give a five second gap for the answer. And that way I could like spit out the answer before I, and then listen to it to reinforce it if it was right. I um, hope that every current PA student or prospective PA student that is listening to this figures out how to do that. They may not know what a tape recorder is or what a floppy disk <laughs> or what, is. Or what DOS is. Or what DOS is. They might not know what any of that is. However, you know, figure out how to record it on your 
phone or whatever yeah. that is. But I, I talk about that strategy often with students about writing your own test questions. We teach our students. So we have a small group problem-based medicine course that we require the students to write multiple choice questions as part of that course. And, and we take them through a little bit of what, what all the task areas are and, and what they mean and, and working great. through. But it's, you know, I always tell students, if you can write a, a vignette and you can connect it to each task area, then, then you know the content. You've got yeah. the content. You have yeah. the NCCPA yeah. test. It's just, just you, you just, you just need to understand what these different aspects are because that's the, that's the big picture, but that process of being able to do it, I think is so valuable. So I actually, I love that. I love the idea of listening to it and giving yourself time to, so again, I hope every PA student or prospective PA student listening figures out how to do that. And I think they still sell voice recorders if not a tape recorder i'm just saying i feel i feel fairly certain that there's probably uh newer technology that they could yes. utilize probably yeah, you're but right there's nothing wrong with it. that old school technology I, so so as you think about gannon university in your current role and kind of the things that you're you're challenged by as a yeah as you look at the pa profession specifically because i know you have a role that's more involved with other other programs there. Yeah, you know, there's so much going on in the PA profession these days with the uh, conversation of the doctoral summit that happened a month ago, the uh, physician associate title, the laws that are changing in states here in Arizona. This this week, yesterday, the governor signed a new scope of practice bill in Arizona that will allow PAs with 8,000 hours of clinical experience that's in a collaborative you know, working relationship with physicians can now have much more autonomy and freedom to practice without a collaboration person of record, which will help us expand our access for patients to, to rural health clinics and things like that. Because to date, the rural health clinics have been a little bit hesitant to hire DAs because of supervisory requirements. So, so I, I wonder kind of for you, what are the top things that you're all wrestling with as a program? And how are you, you informing your students to be ready for the next generation of PA practice? Yeah, um, so all of those things keep me up at night and just in thinking about the evolution, I, I always kind of try to remind ourselves and we talk about it with our students, we're still kind of young as a profession. And I think that sometimes we forget that. And so the change that's happening or maybe happening, I guess the discussions that are happening surrounding change is probably the best way to phrase it are probably natural, although they may be uncomfortable, you know, for, for us who have, you know, been PAs a long time or, or unsettling for current students who really, you know, aren't quite sure. I think, again, we have a, a responsibility to keep our students informed of, of what's happening, you know, with the physician associate discussion we had to have a conversation that says, you know, because we had students who wanted to, I'm an, a physician associate student. And it's like, okay, let's talk about, let's talk about what this means. Let's talk about what it's going to take to get there and, you know, and, and, and work through, just work through that education piece of, you know, I think from a, a curriculum perspective, you know, certainly we're, you know, kind of paying attention to the entry-level doctorate, you know, or the doctoral degree kind of conversation and, and understand what that might mean. But similarly, you know, the, the concept of, 
you know, the, like the changes that you alluded to in, in the state of Arizona and, and thinking about what does the, the level of competence need to shift at time of graduation? And, and, you know, and if so, what does that mean? And what does that look like? And what do we need to be doing from a, a curriculum perspective? Um, we're in the midst of a curricular review of just saying, is, is what we're doing and the way we're doing it working? still working, I guess is the better way to say that. And you, you know, what, what other opportunities are there? So I feel like we have to put all of, all of that piece together. But I think it also goes back to, again, our need as, as educators to support our students, again, in that being educated, being advocates, being leaders, and, and paying attention to what's happening um, surrounding them. And and with everything, right, there are pros and cons and, and something's going to happen. People will make decisions and then we'll have to work within those decisions. But understanding how decisions are made, I think, becomes important too for, for students to, to recognize what, what that piece is, but also that they have a, they do have, they can have a role in that and they can have a voice. And so I think, I think we can all, we can always do better to support our students in, in helping them realize that. Yeah, I think that, that's a great way to talk about it. It's one of those ongoing challenges of being a leader in a program is you have to be wrestling with this constant uh, conversational change that's happening outside of our control. Certainly we have the opportunity to provide input in many different avenues, mm -hmm. but, but then also just trying to pontificate for your own team, like, well, if this, if this, then that, or yep. if this, then what? So yeah, it's just part of the job, right? And having those conversations with institutional leadership of, okay, this is, this is what's being talked about. And if, you know, depending upon what happens, this this is the potential, you know, trickle down, or this is what it might mean. And so just making sure that, you know, there is that awareness at all levels, I think is, I think is really, really critical. I, I'm still wrestling with this, this, um, this bias that I have about when are students ready to be our providers? And so one of the questions we are often asked as directors yep. is, mm -hmm. would you let your students care for your kids? And I'm, I'm assuming your answer is yes, because you have a product that you're very proud of. So help me dispel that myth in my mind that the, the age of the graduate makes a difference. Oh, what a, what a great. So when I started at Gannon, um, it was with the last bachelor's class. So when I started here in 2001, they were making the transition from the, you know, kind of a, a bachelor's entry-level four-year program to the master's entry-level five-year program. And you know, one of the things that I heard, I, I wasn't here, I, I, I didn't experience, I think, enough cohorts to, to necessarily know this myself or to have experienced it. But what I heard from preceptors, from others, was actually it was really amazing what that year what difference that year made. Um, from a maturity perspective, um, a confidence perspective, uh, you know, just that, that piece of one additional year of life experience and, and things. I, I, am, I, I remain, and I'm biased because I'm program director, I am always just so amazed and so impressed by our students and their uh, ability. I don't, and I'm immersed in it. So 
I don't think about their age. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's interesting. And as I'm reflecting about it, I'm thinking, you know, I have a, a son who is, you know, who just graduated, who is the same age as right. the students who graduate from my program. And, mm-hmm. and so I guess if I flip it and go, oh, can I see him? But, <laughs> but that's, it's a different conversation, right? Because yeah. that's, not the, that's not the career path he chose. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do go back to, you know, the fact that our students choose this career path when they do, like it, it is, they're committed and, yeah. and they, have, they have committed to it for five years of education, but longer than that, right? Sure, because sure. they they researched it, they applied, you know, they went through that. So I feel like they've spent, you know, a decent amount of time thinking about the profession. And I do think that that translates into their experience um, during rotations and, and their experience as they, as they graduate. And I think we could say, um, you know, it, competence, um, levels of competence, you know, can vary regardless of age. And, yeah. you know, and, and re- you know, I think we could see that at any program. So it's, it is, I think it's interesting, but it's not, it's not something I hear about. You know, yeah. I don't have prospective employers reaching out to me asking like, wow, they're really young. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't hear that, which I'm really glad, you know, yeah, yeah, I want to hear that, but, but that's not, so I guess, I don't know that that dispels your, your, your thought, but um, no. it's again, and I own that I'm immersed in it and. Yeah, no, and I, I think there them. are some, there's some parallels, right? So a few, so I always, uh, as a program director, I did an exit interview for every graduate. Okay. And one year I, I, you know, I tend to change the themes a little bit on what I'm looking at based on data, based on experience and based on my own whimsical kind of thoughts at two in the morning. But, but one year I focused on the length of time it took for them to, to make their dream happen. And, and it was about seven years, right? The average was seven years for that class of 60. So, so we're really talking about the same thing. It's just that your students realize it at a much younger age and are very mm-hmm. driven towards that, but it's about seven years and they're going through the exact same presumably same curricular aspects. We all have cover the same modules, the same organs, the same history of the profession required by ARC, et cetera. So, yeah. So I think really the only difference would be that the average students that I I would enroll in my previous institutions had a few years of life experience in between college and, and graduate school. But does that really translate to being better prepared or more competent? Sounds like the data would suggest no. Yeah, I think it, I think it, my experience has been no, but I, I don't have, I don't have enough experience outside of this environment to, to, to necessarily say so. Well, Kim, before we close, we always like to give our guests an opportunity to really reflect on anything that you, anything else that you might want our listeners to hear or any other thoughts that you might have, parting thoughts or parting advice for, for pre-PA students for whom this, this podcast was, was born. So anything else that you'd like to share with us? Um, I think it's that ongoing idea and in a way, Kevin, to your point about the dream, I think, you know, keep dreaming, um, whether you're, you know, applying to programs, thinking about applying to programs in a program, out of a program, you know, the dreams and, and the goals, I think, remain really important of, of how we 
how we move ourselves in the profession forward. So I think that that piece is important. And again, I think remembering um, that the opportunity to work in healthcare um, is is really you know such a gift, and the impact that we can have um, on again on patients, but also communities. And I think embracing that um, and and really thinking about you know, thinking about our, our jobs is more than that about, you know, kind of, again, that impact. One of the, one of the pieces that I have appreciated about being a PA educator, and I, I'm not clinically practicing, haven't for a while, is that reminder that I'm still impacting patients through, through my students. And so I thank them for that. I thank them, you know, for the ability to continue to impact patients. And so I think, you know, as, as, as one, you know, thinks about the, the educational journey to becoming a PA and, and one is working through prerequisites and all of those things, you know, remaining focused on their why, you know, I have, it's, it's been a little while, but I've previously taken our students through that kind of why conversation um, and, and done it early on and said, make yourself a note and let's revisit this in year five and, and see what that looks like. Um, but, you know, keep thinking about that why and, and, and why you've chosen the journey and, and remain remain dedicated. Patients patients need us again. They need us to advocate for them. They need us to to support them. We think about things like social determinants of health and and all of those factors. You know, we we need to we need to support and impact patients beyond just our medical knowledge. And and so I think figuring out how how that works through their education and and yeah you need you need the knowledge we need you to be competent and but we we also need individuals to be empathetic and compassionate and and so how do how do we support that piece as well that's awesome kim that is awesome great insights one one year i one of my brilliant ideas was to ask that why they wrote it down on a card and then we taped it under the seats for commencement for them to open up and remember and sadly, I just couldn't remember to keep doing this. So. Oh, no, <laughs> I love that, though. What a great, what a great. Was, for the one class, it was a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, um, uh, we tend to tend to do that, right? I'm, I'm a really great one idea person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I will say that your point about being um, the impact you have, I, I often think about this from years ago, and I know the numbers have changed, so this isn't accurate anymore, but Years ago, the AAPA put out data that said the average PA would see 100 patients a week. And so one year, I thought about this from the perspective of the ripple effect. And if the average graduate sees 100 patients a week and you have a class of, say, 50, right? So you've got, uh, what's that, 5,000 patients a week being seen by that class. You multiply that by the number of students you've been part of training Mm -hmm. and the number of years they've been out. And the numbers are astronomical. Yeah. So we have the chance to impact them as educators on being culturally humble and, you know, being medic- having their medical knowledge polished up and, and having the tools to continue to learn after they leave. You know, we really, I think it's a privilege, like you said, uh, to be absolutely. part of it. So absolutely blessed, blessed to, blessed to have the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing but gratitude. Well, Kim, uh, we are so grateful for your graciousness for returning to a second recording of this uh, due to our technological issues. And again, just uh, thank you so much for the contributions you've made for our profession and for our students 
with assessment and all your other leadership things that you've done. And uh, if you haven't heard again in university, you definitely should check it out because they have some really wonderful people working there. So we wish you the best and thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you both. I, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. It was, it was wonderful. Thank you. It was fun the second time around, right? <laughs> Well, we want to thank our guest, Dr. Kim Cavanaugh, for sharing her time and insights about Gannon University and about assessment with the Physician Assistant Education Association. She has an incredible program that she has developed and clearly has a passion that has served all of us very well. Tune in next week as we speak with Jared Spackman, the program director for the University of Utah Physician Assistant Program. He has been their program director since 2018. He's a past president of the Utah Academy of Physician Assistants, and he has served as the chair of the Utah Physician Assistant Licensing Board. He's also a item writer for the NCCPA Test Item Writing Committee and has done automated item generation development since 2013. Until next time, we wish you success with whatever path you are walking in life, and thank you for joining us. The purpose of this podcast is to provide news and information on the PA profession and is for informational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policies of the University of Arizona.